I just want to notice uh, together that when we say like stand and greet each other, there's this section of like four or five rows back here that's like, nah, we're good. We're just going to sit. And like, I, re- I mean, part of me respects that. I'm like, okay, you're your own people. That's good. Um, and actually leads us into what we're talking about, um, authenticity. Uh, so I was thinking about this and looking at some scholarly definitions of authenticity. Have you guys ever heard anyone talk about that word before? Okay, um, we have because everyone talks about it all the time. Um, Think about this. Tell me if this jives with what your understanding of authenticity is the way that we are using it culturally. It's a person's identifying an original and unadulterated selfhood and rejecting any force or process that separates or alienates the individual from their true identity, character, or sense of purpose. Does that sound about right? Okay, so it's, it's this idea, it's, um, if you've heard of the philosopher Rousseau, I mean, he's kind of one of the OGs of thinking about authenticity the way that people talk about it now. It's this idea that I'm kind of the captain of my own ship, and the way that I discover who I am is by trying to, to like get the shackles off of every institution, every outside force that is coming into my life, and I from within am deciding and discovering who I am. It's this idea of self-actualization that I am finding my original and unadulterated selfhood. And so I want to ask us, is this freedom? Is that freedom? For me to be unaffected by the world around me, discovering who I am, and is that even possible? Um, I went back and actually read the book, uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Has anybody ever read the book? Do you know there was a book? Uh, I love the movie, but um, do you know who wrote that book? Stephen King. Yeah. So I went back and read it. It's a short read. Um, there's some rough stuff in there, but I, I would recommend it otherwise. Um, and it's the story, if you're not familiar, of this, the narrator is Red, who's a prisoner at this maximum security prison, Shawshank, in Maine, where Andy Dufresne is the main character, and he is this man who has come into Shawshank. Uh, he is convicted of a double homicide that he did not commit, and now he will live out the rest of his days, maybe, in this maximum security prison surrounded by people who really did commit heinous crimes. And as the story unfolds, Red, the narrator, is telling us about this man. And he's telling us about the state of things in Shawshank. It is a brutal place. It is a place where the prison guards and the wardens are no better than the prisoners. And the things that happen are brutal and gruesome. And we're watching and hearing the story of this man, this innocent man, as he's living in this place, and what happens to him, and then what happens through him. But I thought about authenticity, the way that we are talking about it as a culture, and I thought about being back in the story of Shawshank, and what if, um, could a prisoner in this place 
discover their true identity and purpose. If, if somebody just woke up in Shawshank, a maximum security prison where everything is awful, would they be able to, from their surroundings and their thoughts and their um, metabolizing what's happening around them, would they be able to find their identity and purpose from this place and the way that people interacted with them? And what scripture is telling us is that in some ways this isn't far off the mark of our experience, that we can really get into a world of hurt if we follow uh, what it means in, in a certain way to discover ourselves through this path of authenticity by trying to dis discern from the feelings I have, the passing thoughts and feelings, and the way that people interact with me and the way that I experience the world, that maybe, maybe that's actually not the path to freedom. Maybe that is deepening my imprisonment, my slavery, because when you're in a maximum security prison, it changes a person. And so what if trying to find the real me apart from God is slavery? And what if his frustrating my life and my attempts to find life apart from him is actually a gift? Um, we're in the middle of this little three-week series that we're starting the year with called What We Have in Christ. And the idea of this series is that we are just looking at three very simply articulated um, articulations of the gospel from three of Paul's letters. Because it is too easy to just blow right by the gift that we have without stopping to unpack and enjoy what is ours and who is ours in Christ and who we are in Christ. And it's easy to start every new year with a list of things and ways in which we want to be better, better versions of ourselves. And in some ways, that's okay, but it, but it depends on what your motivation is. If your motivation is, I need to be better so that dot, 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 then that's not a healthy motivation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just camp out in the gospel. And we're going to start this year from a place of reality, which is a place of abundance because of what is ours and who is ours in Christ. And today we are in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Whoever's reading scripture, you can come on up. Come on up. And we're going to be talking about... Um, the identity that we have in Christ and the purpose that we have in Christ. Here you go. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our own trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus, so that 
in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk within him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are in your presence because you've called us here, whether we know that or not, and you've given us your word to enlighten us and to reveal truth to us and to wake our hearts up and to give us new life, and I pray that you would do that now um, through me as your vessel, but it's not anything that I'm doing. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in your power and you would speak to all of us, including me, and for those who are in you, would you renew us? Would you remind us of what's true? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted? And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that you would remove the blindfold and walk them from death to life. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this is uh, a sermon that's kind of in three movements. I'm not going to say three points because I don't do that. Um, We're going to start with life in Shawshank, our, our desperate state. Okay, and that's, that's these first three verses here. Paul is just laying out what it is to be human, what it is to be human in sin, what it is to be human after the fall of man, what it is now that sin has infiltrated every aspect of this life, of this earth, of this world, of our being, our minds, our wills, our bodies. And he is, does not pull any punches and says, you were dead. You were spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked or lived. So when you see someone who is living, who is living out of, you know, trespasses and sins is a way to capture both my my active, willful disobedience and just my ignorance of like, I don't know how to live. And so I'm living in ways that are wrong and unhealthy all the time. Um, Evan was telling me this week about uh, an illustration that somebody used where it's like, you know, playing a guitar, like a guitar was made to be played a certain way. There, there's um, notes and other musical things. No, there's, um, there's chords and there's harmonies and there's, see, I knew I would get there. Uh, there's, there's like music has a, uh, a math to it. It has a structure to it. And a guitar is made to be played in a certain way. And it's not by just choosing to bang it around and do whatever you want with it that is exercising freedom. Freedom is when someone who is very capable is playing the guitar to the, great, the best of its abilities. And what Paul is saying here is that because of our sin, because of our ignorance and our missteps and our willful rebellion against God, we are just dead. It's like somebody took that guitar and smashed it against the wall. And we are warped and we are not able to play music the way we were made to, to play music. And this whole idea of chasing authenticity, finding your true self apart from God, is not a brave and daring act of self-will. It is slavery. And you are not original. You are following. And that's what he says here. He, He really just pulls this apart and goes into this deep detail, and we need to go with him here. He's saying, When you do this, when you try to find life apart from God, you are following. 
you are not leading. You have not broken free from the restrictions and the constraints of what God is trying to put on you to go find your freedom and go live in it and finally be yourself. He's saying, you fool. No, you are running into slavery. It's like someone has the door, the gates open to Shawshank and you are skipping through the gates, excited to be there. You are following what? The course of this world. In this broken place with broken people, we are following the broken course of this world. Everybody seems to be doing the same thing all the time, the ways in which we hurt each other, the ways in which we, are, we fall susceptible to disease and to accident and to death and to all the things that are terrible in this world and the way that we treat each other and the way that we manipulate and all of these things. He's saying, you're, you're just like everybody else. You are following the course of this world where I am in charge and what I want is what wins the day. And I will treat other people however I feel in order to get what I want. But that's not all you're following. You're following the chief evil spirit. That's a little spooky. The chief evil spirit who is now at work. There is an evil spirit who we call Satan or the devil. And there are other evil spirits as well, but he is the chief. He is in charge. And he is at work in the world, in people's hearts, in people's minds, in people's souls. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Charles Spurgeon, a famous uh, British preacher and pastor, said this about him. As the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he commands innumerable hosts in the unseen world and thus creates a spirit of the age, a cosmos diabolicus, in which he, and this is, I thought this was so good, in which he knits just enough good with evil to achieve his purposes. Because there's a way in which we can look out on the world and we can look at individuals' lives and we can look at the course of this world and say, well, no, look, people are good. But we just got to look at the overall picture of humanity. <laughs> All the times that we do things that we're ashamed of and we know we're going to be ashamed of them when we do them, but we don't have the willpower to not do them. We don't have the willpower to stop saying these things and to start saying new things and to stop thinking these thoughts. And we look at the course of this world, and if we just get the right person in power, no. If we just learned a little more, no. If we just had more technological advances and scientific advancements, we're almost there. No, we're not. It's been like this from the beginning. People are killing each other. People are abusing each other. This is not how we're supposed to live, and we know that. Because we feel it. We watch the news. We don't want to watch the news because it's awful, because it's depressing. And why is it depressing? Because we know something's wrong. Why is my life depressing to me? Because I know something's wrong with me. And he's saying that this cosmos diabolicus, I, I love that. I don't even know what that means. But this world in which we live that is being shepherded and shaped by the chief evil spirit that Jesus calls the ruler of this world has just enough good mixed in with evil to achieve his purposes. The devil dominates and energizes the spiritually dead. He is the warden and the abusive prison guards at Shawshank. He is the one whispering and screaming in our ears lies about who we are 
and that we are trash and that we deserve to be treated like trash and as trash we are orphans and we need to go get what's ours because no one's going to give it to us. He is causing us to believe that we are following our inner north star to freedom and we are running with him into slavery. So can we get on board with, with this idea that there are spirits at work in the world that we cannot see? I mean, I think if, if we're like most of the people in Nashville, maybe of a certain age, then I think, yeah, we can to some extent. But the way that I hear people talk about this in conversation and interactions is like, they're the author of their own, might as well be Pokemon series on these spirits. It's like, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. I know there's spirits out there and I want to tune into them. But it's like, okay, well, how do you know what they're like? And how can they be trusted? And how do they talk to you? And what are, what's their goal? What do they want for you? Well, I don't really know. It's really just me making this up so that I can do whatever I want. There are really no answers to that, but I don't think, at least now in this time, in this cultural moment, we have a problem with agreeing that there is some spiritual presence that we can't always nail down and it fully explain. So in some ways, yes, but in other ways, we need help from Jesus to understand uh, where we are. So we're following the course of this world. We're following the chief evil spirit. We're also following the urges of our bodies and every passing feeling. That's not freedom. Freedom is not slavery to my body and to my ignorance to carry out all of the thoughts and the feelings that I have because a lot of my thoughts and feelings are ignorant. So that's not freedom. To follow every urge that's in my body makes me a terrible person. It doesn't make me a, a paragon of humanity to be, you know, carve a, a marble statue in my likeness and hold me up and say, man, this is the chief end of humanity is this man who followed his body into everything his body wanted to do. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, if we stop and think about it like that, it is ridiculous. But in the moment, that's not how we think. We are carrying out like slaves, mindlessly obeying what we want sexually, our anger and what it wants us to do, our appetites. But what if our appetites are corrupted? Then, then where are we? Where does that leave us? And Paul says, you don't just need more information. You don't just need to, to really, really drill down and try harder. Your entire nature has been warped and changed and polluted. So all of the thoughts flowing through your mind, all of the feelings flowing through your body, the source of all of that has been warped. So it's literally impossible within ourselves without any outside help to find truth in our identity and our purpose by just having all of the chains fall off and let me just follow my inner star to wherever it leads. It will not lead to life. Who is shaping our goals? Who is shaping our lives? Who is shaping my will? 
And that brings us, thank God, to these next few verses, Paul's second movement here. This whole passage is just one sentence, by the way. But verses four through seven, we see God's loving intervention. These two beautiful words, but God. But there's an intervention here. Things are not carrying out to their completion the way that they would have had there not been an intervener. And thank God for us, there was. But we are not going to see the completion of this process because God has directed his affection onto us because of his great mercy. It didn't say that God chose to have great mercy. He was like really feeling it. And he had great mercy this one time. Like that's his nature. That's who he is, is to pour himself out for those who are in need to give them life. So he will never run out of his mercy with the great love with which he loved us. It's not because we did anything to earn his great love. In fact, Paul wants to make that really clear. Even when, even when we were dead, not just dead, but even we were dead in our sins. So it is this heinously disgusting picture of these poor pitiful creatures that are just dead, but they're dead while they're giving God the double birds. It's, I am so glad to be away from you, the one who has created me and is trying to give me life. And I'm just over here in my own mess, in my own death. And it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Jesus Christ because that is love. Love is not following my urges and my feelings. Love is not finding someone attractive and wanting to be physically intimate with them. Love is what he shows us here and what he has shown us through the cross. Love is when someone who has nothing to gain other than they have just set their affection on you and they will do whatever it costs to themselves to bring you life and flourishing. That is love. A love that doesn't change when our affections change, when I start getting treated differently. Y'all, we just got a puppy a week before Christmas. Okay, moving on. Her name is Sister. She's precious. She's a St. Bernard Poodle mix. I refuse to say doodle. Um, and as I'm training her, she is, she's precious. She's doing exactly what a puppy should do. She is really sweet. She's sweet-natured. But it is awful. I mean, it's like the, like the way she behaves sometimes. I want to just punt her. And <laughs> if, if she ever, if she tore into my kids or tore into me, she would be gone, right? No chance. And the Lord has been using sister to show me my true nature and how ways in which I am different from him. Because whatever this sweet little puppy is doing is just pales in comparison to the way that we have absolutely, flagrantly, with every bone in our body, rejected the one who has made us for life with him. And what he has done when we have chosen to do that is truly unlike anything or anyone that we've ever heard of. 
the reason that you see in Christ and with Christ and together with Christ so much in these verses here is because he is life. There is no life apart from him. It made me think about what Jesus says in John 15. I am the vine. He's trying to give us a picture. It's like, y'all, I am the vine and you are the branches. Like, I am life. And so if you are severed from me, there is nothing left for you but death. There is no vitality. There is no energy. There is no energizing. There is no quickening of the spirit. There is no nothing. If you are apart from me, you are dead because I am the only source of life. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will live and you will experience true freedom. You will experience your true nature. You will produce beautiful fruit just like you were made to. But apart from me, you will be dead and withered. And he says in John 5, 25, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here. And y'all, it's here right now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And that's happening right now. Jesus is using this guy and this word, and he is coming to you in this place and saying, I am here because I love you. And I have moved heaven and earth. I have given myself to suffering and death beyond what you could ever imagine so that you could have life, that you would no longer be dead, but that you would be alive. And all you have to do is receive it. And he's saying, do that now. The day of salvation is today. Jesus is the greater Andy Dufresne. This passage from uh, Shawshank, I want to read to you guys. And this is read talking about uh, this, this time when they were on the roof, tarring the roof, and these guards who were just awful, this guy Hadley, who would just as soon kill you as look at you, and just mistreated prisoners. Um, he watches Andy stand up to him, and listen to what he says. I've talked to some of the other men who were there that day, and, and we all saw and felt the same thing. Suddenly, it was Andy who had the upper hand. It was Hadley who had the gun on his hip and the club in his hand. Hadley who had his friend Greg Stamus behind him, who was the warden, and the whole prison administration behind Stamus. The whole power of the state behind that. But all at once in that golden sunshine, it did not matter, and I felt my heart leap up into my chest as it never had since the truck drove me through these prison gates in 1938. And what he's articulating here. Is, is just this pale picture of the gospel, is that Jesus has put on flesh and he's come into this place where we are all hopeless and we are all chasing our own desires and we're all treating each other like garbage and he is different. And he has come in all the power of the enemy, all the power of sin, all the power of death, all the power of hate. Jesus comes in unarmed. He's not shooting at anyone. He comes in unarmed and just offers himself and he does so from a place of deep humility, but also from a place of deep power. Because his love conquers all of his enemies and all of our enemies. And he marched right into the heart of darkness and gave himself for us so that all of our sin could be put into him. And God could take care of the punishment, the wrath of God poured out on sin in Jesus so that we could live. And then guess what? Three days later, Jesus got up out of his tomb because he could not be held by death. And now he lives forever, and he points to himself, and God points to him and says, you can have confidence 
This wasn't just some poor idiot who was like, I'm going to go give myself for everyone. And then he just dies and just stays dead. But the fact that he was raised again is God authenticating what is true and saying, no, he's telling the truth because nobody else can do that. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm okay now. And you're okay because you're in me. He is preparing us for the immeasurable riches of his kindness to be lavished on us and experienced for ages to come. It will take an eternity for God to share his love with us and to show us all of his love for us, for us to enjoy all of his love for us. And we will also live for eternity. But what about here? And this is, this is the last movement of Paul's, Paul's statement here, verses 8 through 10. This is our new life in Christ, both here while we're still in this Shawshank and beyond. Look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What Paul is saying here, what he's going to great pains to say over and over and over again is that you and I have added nothing, nothing to our salvation, nothing to God's love for us, nothing to our new life in Christ. And so what that means is that life now, there is no place for pride. There's no place for pride. There's no place for me thinking and believing that I've done something to pull myself up by my bootstraps, that I've done anything that would make me better than any of you or more desirable or more lovable than any of you. But it also leaves no place for shame. Because if I can't save myself, then I can't ruin it, right? Like from now on, no matter what I do, no matter what sin I find myself committing, I don't ever have to be afraid that God will separate himself from me because it has nothing to do with what I've done. The sin that I'm committing is the whole reason that Jesus came. And I'm not going to be the same man that I was, but I'm also not going to be perfected yet. Jesus said that's not going to happen until I return. And so on this road, on this journey, I never have to be ashamed because God looks at me and counts me righteous. And he has set his affections on me, and his affections are not fickle. And he has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished to bring me to himself and have a perfect relationship with him through Jesus. And then in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What kind of good works is he talking about? Is he talking about like Boy Scout activities of like helping old ladies cross the street? Is he talking about just being a good boy or a good girl and just doing things the right way, using our manners? No, it's more like the way an orchestra is created for beautiful works of music, or an artist is created for beautiful art. The word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, from which we derive our English word poem, and it literally means that which has been made, a work, a making that sometimes is translated as poem, but can be any work of art. And what Paul is saying here is that we are God's works of art to go and make this world beautiful. We are God's masterpieces. We are God's works of art 
And he has, a, he has beautiful things in store for us. These good works that he prepared beforehand, think about it like a symphony that every part has already been written. And we are each just one instrument. So my life is a symphony because of the beauty that he surrounds me with. But I'm also a part of this little symphony, of this body together. And wherever two or three of his people are together, it is, it is his beauty, his good works through laughter and joy and creativity and all of these wonderful things. Rick Rubin, who's one of the greatest music producers of our time, um, he is, he gets it sort of. Um, I think the way that he would probably describe himself would be like just generally spiritual or maybe Buddhist or Eastern mysticism. But listen to what he says. The space shuttle, Claire de Lune, the Roman Colosseum, the Philip Screwdriver, Philadelphia cheesesteak, look around you. Each of these is humanity being true to its nature as creators, as a hummingbird is true to itself by building a nest, a peach tree by bearing fruit, and a nimbus cloud by producing rain. How do these know when everything, or excuse me, how do these know when to build a nest or produce peaches or drop rain? The universe functions like a clock. To everything there is a season. These rhythms are not set by us. And listen to this. We are all participating in a larger creative act that we are not conducting. We are being conducted. And we are being conducted by the Holy Spirit of Jesus that is at loose in this world. Thank God that the evil spirit is not the only spirit at work in this world. And thank God that Jesus' spirit is uh, infinitely more powerful than him. And we are being conducted now that we are in Christ to live these beautiful symphonies of his love on display to the world. And y'all, I want to just make one point of application here. It is not primarily about your job or your career. We spend so much time wasted, obsessing over getting ahead. And it, it's just, we could do anything and do this and be a part of this. And anything that we do when we force ourselves into a place that we were not made to be and work ourselves, grind ourselves to the bone to stay there and work these ungodly hours, it is not worth it. It's actually taking us out of this beautiful symphony that we were made to live in. And so we can rest as the people of God that we don't need to get ahead to be somebody or to be something or to get our identity or to have our purpose. We do that wherever we are, and he is our father. He is going to take care of us. We're not orphans. And so now in Christ, we are all like little Andy Dufresne's running around Shawshank. Listen to what Red says about him. Am I trying to tell you about a man or a legend? I'd have to say the answer lies somewhere in between. All I know for sure is that Andy Dufresne wasn't much like me or anyone else I ever knew. Somehow he managed to smuggle something into this place with him, a sense of his own worth maybe, or a feeling that he would be the winner in the end, or maybe it was a sense of freedom. It was a kind of inner light that he carried around with him. May that be said about us as we go about our lives in this world and the places that God has put us, the places that he's called us to play his beautiful music. Y'all, it's good that it's his music. It's good that it's his works that he prepared beforehand because he is like Bach, and I am like a little kid banging on sticks. Like, I would rather play his music than my music because I'm not near as creative as he is. I, I'm not capable of producing beauty like he is. 
So thank God that it's his works and not the ones that I go try to drum up on my own. And that's what enables us to be on adventure with Jesus, to be set free and to set others free and then enjoy that freedom together. Father, thank you for this word. Would you just make this like flypaper just cling to us that we cannot get away from it, that we swim in it, that we, we live in it, we think about it, we dream about it. It becomes the deepest, most core truth to us that there is. I ask you to do this in your great love for us because we can't do it for ourselves, but thank you that you will never leave us. And no matter what state we find ourselves in, the truth is that you have done everything necessary to bring us to yourself and you are already dropping little hints and little tastes of the immeasurable riches of your love and kindness toward us that you will shower on us for all eternity. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so kind of with all of this information, with all of this reality check for us, um, I think we need some time to just reflect. So we're going to spend a few minutes and just have a conversation with Jesus, no matter where you are. Think about the way that you're thinking about your life, the way that you're thinking about freedom, the way that you're thinking about your goals, the way you're thinking about your work, whatever he puts on your heart. Even if at first it doesn't make sense, just go there with him and let him remind you or maybe tell you for the first time what's true.